Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. Today, John is away being responsible. It's just me, but I have two really awesome guests who are willing to sit down with me and talk with me today. They also are people who are willing, or maybe willing isn't the right word, and happy probably isn't the right word either, but they survive a week with me each year at our fair and plus some. And so I'm really excited to introduce our guests today. On Ringside, we often tend to focus a lot on the show side of Dairy Goats. We often don't have a chance or an opportunity to sit down with those who also milk goats for commercial purposes. And since it's Dairy Goat Awareness Week, what better way to do that than to talk to two people who not only raise and show dairy goats, but they also have a licensed dairy selling raw milk and cheese from their herd of Alpines and Nubians. On today's episode, in our final episode of Dairy Goat Awareness Week, we're joined by Brendan and Kate Foley of Hoofprint Cheese Company, located right down the road from me in Millbrook, New York. Kate and Brendan have a herd of Nubian and Alpine does, including my goat, if wonderful Alpine, and are the people I live vicariously through when I see gorgeous Alpines posted online, the makers of amazing cheese and powerful, productive dairy goats. Not only will we be talking about their operation, but the influences of the market and on their lives on how that has shaped their herd and business over the last couple of years. So welcome to the podcast, Kate and Brendan. Thank you for having us. Thank you. No, thank you for coming on. I think, Kate, you were on the ringside early in the infancy of the show, but do you guys mind reintroducing yourselves and telling us about Hoofprint Cheese Company? Uh, sure, yes. We are uh, Kate and Brendan Foley, and uh, we have a small dairy in Millbrook, New York. We raise Nubian and Alpine dairy goats, although I guess we probably have quite a bit more of the Alpine, but uh, <laughs> we do raise both breeds and we make cheese and yogurt. Um, we also are licensed to sell raw milk. Uh, so we do a, a fair bit of that as well. And in addition to the business side of it, we very much enjoy showing the goats and uh, participating in the uh, performance programs. Awesome. So you mentioned you're a licensed dairy in New York that can sell raw milk. And because so many states have different regulations, can you tell us what that means? Yes, it is different state by state. So we are licensed by the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets. Basically, we meet um, certain criteria and go through various testing, uh, extra testing in addition to the cheese plants and hold our raw milk license. Right. And so for some states, they can sell off the farm without a license. You actually have to be licensed and it is one more step up after that dairy licensing, correct? 
Right. Yes, that's true. So it's um it is in addition to the cheese making license, um, which is separate and has its own <laughs> various uh, inspections and regular visits from Megan Markets. And yes, in New York State, the law is that the raw milk can only be sold from the farm, meaning that we people have to come to us to get it. So we can't sell it to um, a market, a supermarket, a grocery store, anything like that. So you mentioned your performance herd and your herd appraises milk tests and shows quite regularly. When making breeding decisions and also culling decisions, where do you focus? Is it on the milk production? Is it on type? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I guess we have few considerations there. We do breed for production considering we want the milk for cheese making and for raw milk. Um, so production is important to us. I also really like a goat that can milk well for us, but I also really like a, a pretty goat. And <laughs> we like to go out to the shows and, and try to compete. So trying to keep that type and style up with the production is a funny balancing act, I guess. That's the game we play with genetics, right? (laughs) Right, right. Well, and then there's also, and I can say this because I know both of you, but there's also the constant, I feel, and maybe, and struggle isn't the right word, but what goats you like and what goats Brendan likes and kind of merging that together to make a good strong herd too and not in a type thing more probably more of a personality yes that's the other component I guess of it is personality we probably have some goats that are still in our herd because we love them (laughs) and they're I want to say more pets but we do really very much enjoy working with our goats and knowing each one of their personalities. So we do take that into some consideration as well. And yes, we have goats that we call Brendan's goats or Kate's goats. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we and we do maybe have a little bit of differences there in what we each like. <laughs> right. And I guess it also is I think both of you have eyes that there are. I think about like which goats are yours and which goats are Brendan's and they're similar, but I think of the hit, like I would consider the doe of your Sandy, his doe. And she's just this huge, huge, powerful doe. And I think you like the powerful does as well, but I don't know. There's a little something different about her. And I think that kind of drives you two in slightly different directions. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, uh, I, I, well, I mean, I'm, I probably think about this on less of the, the type and show. Good at uh, the nuanced differences in, in the types of goats and the. So, how are you thinking of it? I, I, I guess I just think about it. I, I think it's more of a practical approach. Um, I mean, I do like a goat that can make a good amount of milk um, that milks out easily, uh, which is always kind of a big thing because you know they're we're doing chores twice a day, every day, and. and it, when you put them on the machine, it's always nice to just be able to put the milkers on and then be able to move on to the next uh, goat. And, uh, you know, you get the ones that either, you know, won't milk 
won't let all their milk down or or the you know the one or two or three or four that continually kick like one of the milkers off it's you know like non-stop like you got to be there holding it like those are the ones where you kind of say well maybe i don't want to breed you again um, <laughs> um because it just it just literally adds work uh but you know that's just one consideration we, we have a few that we bred every year and they're continually like that because <laughs> They've got to show us really something else if they're wanting to misbehave. <laughs> I understand that. Believe me, I understand that with my lovely animals as well. <laughs> but it is true that especially when you are investing so much of your time and your life into this, that the work matters and taking into account that this animal takes a little longer to milk out or she's not going to let all of her milk down that first time. And so you have to put on those inflations again, which I know you're probably not even really supposed to do, but there are those things that add up. And when you're looking at animals in that more commercial setting, that those things matter and those things are taken into account and it is an important thing to consider and it's also something that should be considered too even if you just have a hobby herd because your time is valuable i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the market for your products um can you give us kind of a brief summary of the market you sell in who your customers are are you wholesale retail on farm farmers markets Yes, that's one of the areas that we've adapted a little bit over time. We do sell our product from the farm, which mostly is driven by the raw milk laws. Uh, so we're selling the milk from the farm. So we're also selling cheese there. We started out, uh, we were doing some farmers markets and events, things like that, but quickly realized how much labor goes into that and how time consuming it is and mostly it's just the two of us that do this um so we we realize that maybe that's not as feasible for us to continue doing we work a lot with the farms to tables based out of Rhinebeck they're a really great delivery service um they work closely with producers and uh, markets and other buyers, restaurants, and they have been instrumental in helping us grow our business. Yeah, you know, coming from the, uh, the, the farmer's markets, which, you know, can be, you know, they can be really nice and they can be fun at times. Uh, sometimes you got to sit through the bad weather too, but uh, yeah. it, 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 it just, you know, each market ends up being uh, nearly a full day, eight hour commitment. When we, when we started uh, with uh, Farms to Tables, they had actually just started out not too long before we had started with them. And uh, it, it connects us to buyers. It, basically, we were able to list our product where buyers can seek us out as opposed to us uh, going out and seeking buyers. So it's, it's, it's a different model um, and, it, and it, it is on the wholesale basis. So, you know, you don't get, you don't get to earn retail money, but the truth is, is that when it comes to, you know, the volume of product you need to to sell to, to have, a you know, a profitable small business. 
And that is something that is so important to consider that there is time value in your labor and also the time value of, is this the best use of your time? Or, and is this the part of being in this business that you wanted to be a part of? Obviously, I know both of you are very willing to talk to people about dairy goats and be that voice for the business and being a small farm. But it's also, would you rather be working in the barn with the goats or standing at a farmer's market selling cheeses when you may not make as much money on that, but the quality of what you're doing with your time is just that much more valuable? Right. Yeah, it's a balance. Um, Definitely. Yeah. The farmer's markets were fun though. Uh, like I, you know, yeah. it, it, once in a while we'll do an event. It's pretty rare uh, these days, but, um, but they can be, they can be a lot of fun. It was, it's just, it's a pretty enormous commitment, but you're right. It's, it's kind of like, well, you know, we could make another batch of cheese on a, on a Saturday morning um, or we could, you know, go to a market and, uh, the, or, you know, do barn chores, you know, clean the pan and what else I need, you know, the things that need to get done. <laughs> So when you started your business, what were your goals and what direction were you going with in terms of your herd, your customers, your markets, and what was your product line like? Yeah. So um, when we started, we had a little bit of a different product line. We made, I guess I would say, more types of cheeses then. And since then, we're focusing more heavily on the types that we make now, which is just basically the fresh cheeses, the yogurt and the milk. But when we first started, I guess it was kind of fun to think about the different types of cheeses to make. And we did a lot of experimenting and learning, (laughs) trial and error. Taste Uh, testing. Taste taste testing, good and bad, right? (laughs) And I think that that's kind of, led us to where we are now with the products that we have and in terms of the herd I think that we've gotten more excited about the shows and appraisals and DHI um, and kind of have really learned a lot about that and are still learning how much there is to learn about that and kind of enjoying that aspect of it as well. I'm sure listeners can easily tell as we've already had conversations that kind of take this analytical approach. But one of the strengths I feel in your operation is that analytical approach you take to the business and the determination of where to focus, what products to make, where to sell, how to sell, even which goats to keep. When has that critical analysis come in handy and changed the direction you were going? Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, Well, I think pretty much all the time. (laughs) Pretty much every decision we make uh, from really minor things, you know, or I guess we shouldn't say minor, but maybe more like everyday things of management strategies and problem solving of, as we all know, how it goes with dairy goats. uh, Those come up on a daily basis to some, yeah, some of the larger issues of our, our herd and our business in general. You got to sometimes take a step back and take a hard look and 
see where you're going and what's driving you in that direction. Yeah, I think I think there there's one big point in time and it it I mean there's the, the pandemic really kind of changed the behaviors of our of everybody. Um the 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 changes in 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 what we were selling, I mean, it, it almost happened overnight. It was pretty amazing because we had so many restaurants as opposed to, uh, uh, as customers, as opposed to like retail. And then it, it very quickly shifted to like these, you know, uh, little retail shops all over, which was pretty interesting. Um, so we sold a lot to rest, uh, a lot less to restaurants and a lot more to stores. And even since the pandemic, it's actually shifting back more towards restaurants. Um, so that has a big impact on what we produce. How so? How has your product line changed? We sell a lot more like bulk cheese. So uh, less less that's packaged for retail sale um, and more so that's packaged for like restaurant use. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, three, six, eight, ten pounds of cheese at a time. Uh, so it's it's a it's a little bit more streamlined. You know, we again, it's kind of a an area where you know, there's a little bit less packaging involved, which is great. Uh, we can actually, you know, we can offer the, the, the product for less to the customers. Um, and uh, it was also a way to to help manage some of the supply chain issues that, you know, experienced. You know, there was a period of time where, a long period of time, actually, where we had trouble getting the packaging that we actually normally used. What about in terms of raw milk sales during the pandemic? How... What happened there for you and your herd? Uh, in terms of the raw milk during the pandemic, I would say that probably stayed about the same. I would say. I would say it, I mean, it probably increased a little bit, but mostly what we saw was the cheese and the yogurt. I know when the pandemic first hit and we, that spring we were just getting the all the girls fresh and getting milk into the tank again and i remember a moment i just looked at brendan and i said i think we need to make a batch of yogurt first which is we usually get right started with the cheeses because they take a little longer especially if we're going to make some aged cheeses but he said you know i think with all of the kids being home and and the demand for feeding families and this and that I think we should make yogurt first and I'm not sure we even barely got it packaged and it was out the door incredible going forward did everything kind of keep going at that same pace was there a period when it slowed down where is your market kind of looking now yeah so then from there I guess it it picked up further through the farms to tables because there were more of like the small markets that people were shopping at. So trying to fill all of those kind of orders. And then what I'll tell you at first, at first we were like, Oh boy, this could go either way because we did sell a lot to restaurants, which of course were then all closing down, but the small markets really picked up. And so it sort of shifted how we were doing that. And from there, it really kind of, the changes were much less and, and dra- less drastic, which was good because that was a lot to go through. Uh, <laughs> Just <laughs> minor, minor things, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then sort of then it just became balancing the restaurants with the markets as the restaurants sort of picked up again. And 
I think we just really learned that we need to adapt just as quickly as things can change around us and to be able to do that was something that I really hadn't thought was going to be so necessary. Obvi- you know, we're three years out from 2020 now. Where has your business gone in the last couple of years? And also, what direction is your herd going and how have things changed? So yeah, the business um, has probably gone mostly uh, more towards the restaurants, sort of as Brendan was explaining before, through our choice and through the, the market demand. Um, but that's been been pretty good for us. And our herd is ever-changing, I guess. <laughs> We're just having a lot of fun trying to bring in some different genetics. We're doing just about as much AIing as we can. We have a lot of fun with that playing around with um, different sires. And we have sort of a, a few different dam lines going now, which um, it's kind of fun to see them diverging, going in different directions and then using different sires on them. So I think we're, we're hoping we're going in the right direction, I guess. But uh, time will tell. We have our appraisal in a couple of weeks. So That's a little, true. Little more. Linear appraisal is <laughs> coming up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And you've also changed the number of animals you're milking, correct? And I guess maybe we didn't even talk about at your peak, how many does were you milking and where are you now in terms of your numbers of milkers? True. Yes, that's a good point. We were milking about 25 to 30 does a year um, for the last few years. And as we touched on a little bit earlier, trying to keep our sanity and (laughs) being um, manageable, we have cut that pretty drastically for this year. Uh, so this year we're actually milking 15 and only fresh in 15 this year. But there's a whole, oh, sorry, I'll let you, I'll, you can, you can go, Brendan. Oh, no, I was just <laughs> going to say, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're def- this is a year where we're kind of, we are kind of stepping back and just kind of examining things. You know, we had some changes on our end, uh, just, you know, outside of the farm and, and, uh, and, and we're, we're kind of taking it all in, uh, but, uh, We'll see where it goes. And then this is the perfect and we'll see where it goes is the perfect transition because I know you and Brendan, you might want to close your ears, but I know there's a pen of beautiful yearling, pretty much all alpines that are going to need to get bred next for next year. (laughs) That is true. So I think this is uh, where Every goat breeder can relate um, <laughs> that you have the numbers and you have the does that you really want to see what kind of udder you might get. And it's really hard to to step back from that area. <laughs> oh, it certainly is. And kind of going on the fact of in that pen of yearlings, it's pretty much all alpines or is it completely alpines? Yes, that is true. We actually have no dry yearling Nubians well, <laughs> this yes, year. They true. all are alpines. There and, is a baby. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, there is a baby. So for Nubian, this year, so. we do have <laughs> one one Nubian dowling we kept. <laughs> <laughs> but only one. And to kind of 
back up a bit. When you started this herd, you were primarily Nubians and you were just adding in a few Alpines. And now when you look at your herd, I think your ratio of long-eared to pointy-eared animals has flopped or even is much drastically leaning into more of that pointy-eared alpine direction, Um, especially when you kind of look at your younger animals and you see all these alpines, absolutely gorgeous alpine kids, but then there's this one little Nubian or the representation of those long-eared goats are not quite as strong as it used to be. Can you talk about the influence of that and what's kind of led you to move into that direction? That is true. Yes. When we started out, I I was very focused on the Nubians and um, we did acquire a few Alpines, which we were saying was basically to boost our quantity of milk. But yeah, we really took a liking to them. And I, I like how, well, I really like their personalities, which I had never really known how much I would like that before those few first does that we got. And then I just really also like how, and I guess maybe this is also a, a trait of the ones that we did acquire, but I liked how they were very big bodied, strong does and their personalities matched that where the the Nubians were very loving with people and very attached to us the Alpines would have moments of yeah we're gonna go out in the field and just wander around on our own we're fine with that where the Nubians would be like well why don't you go for a walk with us then we'll go out there (laughs) so they're much more independent (laughs) which was fun to see them Uh, a kind of a different personality come through. And I think we've just grown from there with them. And now, yeah, we have the one Nubian doling that we have kept this year is the granddaughter of the original doe that we got to start Hoofprint. So she's a, her and her mom have a special place in our herd. And I think that's why we... (laughs) carry on with that line um and then my mom has a couple of Nubian does that she very much likes um so we're we're carrying on that as well I get it I get it listen I have my token experimental and she is very much a Sonnen and it is a completely different personality and it is interesting once you start with one breed and you start working with another and you see how they kind of work and what you gravitate to, how has that change in that ratio influenced the cheese you're making and the components in your milk? Well, the Nubian milk is a lot creamier. That's for sure. The Alpines do have, uh, uh, and, and some more so than others. And that kind of goes back to, you know, choosing who we're keeping. We probably don't choose on components as, as much as we probably, you know, could have. That um, would be a bigger factor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, I guess I guess one of the good things is that, you know, we, we usually have just enough milk to kind of do what we're doing so it works out. But the, there's no doubt that the, the yields go down, you know, with the... Uh, 
with more alpines versus nubians it's not it's not as dramatic as like the the, the change in yields throughout like the season so like uh in the cooler months the, the yields go up pretty considerably but it it's uh it definitely has an impact uh, uh there's no doubt about it you know less pounds of cheese per pound of milk all right awesome and wrapping up i have two questions and then i'm sure you'll be able to figure out what that john is asking this last question but to start off with, where do you see your operation and dairy goats taking you in the next five years or so? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, we kind of just hope that we can carry on um, and keep learning as we go and learning to adapt to all of the different changes that we have been presented with, especially in the last three years. We really want to continue improving on our production and type and and trying to excel in um, some of those areas and maybe attend some more of the bigger shows. And we, we attended the national show last year, which was our first national show ever, actually. And I think we were kind of bit by the, the national show bug and want to spend the year's striving to to improve louisville 2024 road trip is what right. i'm hearing yes yes and it's just fun to aspire to those things and think okay that gives me the the next you know how many years and what can i do in that much amount of time and <laughs> yes exactly all right and then do you have any advice for those who want to start a dairy or creamery and kind of what you wish you knew when you were starting out that you know now? Some of the best advice I could say is to definitely get out there and talk to the producers. You can contact the state and they can guide you and give you as much advice on what you need to do legally to to get started, but, you know, ask a producer if you can stop by their facility and uh, do a tour and just, you know, grab their ear for a little bit and ask as many questions as you can. And that, that seeing that and seeing the different types of production facilities out there um, will really help you determine what is right for you. Uh, there's a lot of different sizes. There's a lot of different styles. There's a lot of different equipment out there. And learning all of that before you jump in and make this investment uh, probably would be pretty sound advice. <laughs> it's, you, don't, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, though. And, and you know, it, it has all been done. And there, there isn't necessarily some, at least at the small scale, like a silver bullet uh, solution that that uh, is the best. A lot of it just depends on your circumstances and your own setup um, or what you envision as a setup. But there were a couple of things that we did that tipped the scale, let's say. And the the one, and if you're going to open a dairy and milk, you know, 30, 50, 60, 70 goats, I mean, this is, this is, you absolutely need it. But, but when we first started, our very first year, I think we bred about 15 goats. We were milking in buckets, and within uh, within a year, we said, "Okay, we're we're we have to install a pipeline." And that was, uh, you know, such 
such an enormous improvement how we do chores the time it takes to do chores the quality of milk that we were producing that was that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> but so i guess my what i'm saying is just you know consider consider the inputs and like you know the the time and effort that it takes you to do this because it, it really is it, i mean it as much of a life it is, as it is um you know you do want to have the ability to to take a break and so you, you don't want to make it hard on yourself um simply to comply with some requirement make it make it work for you as well perfect and i would say that was the great would be a great place to wrap up but even though he is missing this episode he, john somehow managed to add this last final question in and so and listeners you will all be well aware of why i am saying john wanted me to ask this once i ask it but his question to you two are so when are you adding over hosley <laughs> over hustle, huh? <laughs> well, John had to get his question into. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, aren't they just little brown alpines? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't see that happening anytime soon. But I will say, <laughs> if I was going to add, I guess we should say third breed. I would prefer Toggenberg. <laughs> He's gonna that's not going to happen then we'd have zero plans for that <laughs> we have our hands full with what we have <laughs> understandable he's gonna be so mad when he hears it i love it he'll love that answer <laughs> he will he will so as we wrap up if listeners want to find more about you your products where would they find you um we have our facebook at print cheese company um, we also have our website, uh, hoofprintcheesecompany.com. And um, you can always reach out through email or a uh, phone call. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time and being part of our Dairy Goat Awareness Week episodes. I'm so appreciative of both of you. And I'm so glad we got to be here today and kind of tell the story. So thank you. Of course, and happy Dairy Goat Awareness Week. Thank you. And for all the listeners, you can find Ringside on Facebook by searching Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. We are on Instagram at ringside underscore goat underscore podcast. We are on TikTok. If you search Ringside podcast, you will certainly find, I want to say us there, but more or less John there. And you can find us on the web at dairygoatpodcast.com. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a rating and a review. We appreciate it. For everyone, this has been Ringside. John's not here, but I'm Danielle. And if you're going to buy a raffle kid, put it in John's name. Yeah, don't do that. She forgets I edit these episodes. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.